Bible and open with me to the book of Proverbs, where we have been studying together through the fall God's wisdom for our world. We have been hearing and reading a great deal about the work of the transition team for President-elect Clinton in putting together the new administration that will take office in just a few weeks. As one hears of the complex details of putting this all together, one's mind is boggled with how many positions have to be filled and how many references have to be checked. Planning ahead is important in a government, and it seems as though we have a president-elect who is aware of what it means to plan. To fail to plan ahead is to live by chance. It is not to live by faith, as some people think. I've heard people say, well, I don't plan anything. I live by faith. To fail to plan ahead is not to live by faith. Faith and planning are not mutually exclusive. You consider the fact that God himself has left nothing to chance but has established purposes and a plan which will be fully realized in the end. In the book of Proverbs, God counsels us to plan ahead. I invite you to look at several texts, beginning in verse chapter 5, verse, verses 6 through 8. God tells us to follow the example of the ant. Proverbs 5, verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And so we have this small little insect that plans ahead for its future. Perhaps you've heard of honey ants. Honey ants are remarkable in that they are able to survive in difficult times by their dependence upon certain members in their group with the assignment of becoming honey pots. While these particular ants in the colony are known for their social stomachs, what they actually do is to eat much more than they can possibly use until they become like little round berries. Kind of reminds you of after Christmas dinner, doesn't it? And they're hardly able to move. Then when the food and the water in the colony is nearly depleted, they sustain the whole colony by providing and dispensing out of their own stomachs what is needed for everyone else. Ants are amazing creatures. They plan ahead. God says that we ought to learn a lesson from them. Look in chapter 11 now and verse 14 where we have this instruction. For lack of guidance, a nation falls. But many advisors make victory sure. The word guidance here in the Hebrew language is steering. For lack of steering, a nation falls. You have the picture of the ship of state that needs to have someone at the helm. And that pilot, that helmsman, then guides the ship of state 
to its uh, destiny. In order to do that, he has to be looking out in front and planning ahead. And so God tells us here that it's important in the affairs of a nation, of a state, to have leadership that plans ahead. Chapter 20 and verse 8. Excuse me, verse 18. Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. It is important in waging war to plan ahead. Victory, you see, depends not merely upon the strength or courage of the soldiers, but upon the strategy and the tactics that are outlined by the leadership. Leadership, the generals and so on, must plan ahead. There was a great deal of planning that went into the exercise in Somalia, which is accomplishing a wonderful uh, deed of, of human good. Planning was necessary, though. There were those who felt that the military ought to rush here or rush there, and yet they wisely stuck by the plan. They planned ahead. Whether it be a humanitarian effort or it be war itself, planning ahead is essential. And then chapter 24, verse 27, brings it more close to home. It says, finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. What he's saying is, get your fields planted, get all of your work done that needs to be done, and then get married and start your family. Now, in an agricultural setting, you can understand what that means. In our setting today, what it means simply is plan ahead. Don't just run out and elope. Now, some of you are ready to do that today, I know, if only you had someone to elope with. But he says, don't do that. He says, you must plan ahead. And once you have things prepared, once you're ready, then proceed to establish your family, your home. So in Proverbs, God counsels us to plan ahead. The wise person learns to do that, knowing that God will guide ultimately to what is best. Now I want us to consider three lessons this morning from Proverbs about planning ahead. The first one deals with planning ahead and its benefits. Planning ahead does produce benefits. And in Proverbs, we see at least three of them that are called to our attention. The first one is found in chapter 21 and verse 5, where it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You see the contrast. But he points out the fact that if we plan ahead, it brings us profit, or as the New American Standard puts it, advantage. One benefit of planning ahead is that the person who plans ahead has the advantage. Some of you like to play checkers or chess or other kinds of board games where strategy is important. And you know how significant it is when one person plans ahead and the other just moves wherever he desires at the moment. Inevitably, the person who has a game plan, the person who thinks ahead a few moves at least, will have the distinct advantage over the one who merely moves at a whim. And so the one who in the issues of life plans ahead has a definite advantage 
over those who live life carelessly and without much thought. If you drop down a few verses to verse 20, you'll see a second advantage, or a second benefit, rather, to planning ahead. He says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Here we see that planning ahead brings the benefit of abundance. Security is due to ample preparations made in advance. Why does the wise man have food and oil? Because he plans ahead and he stores it up. I would suppose we could go to the food closet or shelf that some of you have in your homes or your apartments. And there we would see food stored up for this next week's menus, right? Or at least coupons for McDonald's and Burger King for the next week. You're planning ahead. But what happens when you plan ahead? Well, it tends to bring you abundance. Whereas the person who has no plan simply lives in what he has at the moment and everything runs through his fingers and he has nothing in the end. It pays to plan ahead. It brings us abundance. And then in verse 22, it says, A wise man attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold in which they trust. What is the, accomplish, the, the advantage here? What is the benefit of planning ahead? It brings accomplishment. Accomplishment. Here the man who is attacking the city plans ahead. He's wise, and the result is that he overcomes it. Now we can see this in other military metaphors in the book of Proverbs, but we'll just let it rest at this point that victory, accomplishment, getting what you need, what you want, takes place when you plan ahead. So planning ahead has its benefits. Learn that lesson and you will be wise. But secondly, we want to look at planning ahead and its steps. Planning ahead involves a certain process. And in the book of Proverbs, we see most of these laid out for us. Look in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 13. The NIV puts it this way, Casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. <clears throat> Listen to the Living Bible's paraphrase of this. It says, what a shame, yes, how stupid to decide before knowing the facts. You see, planning ahead has certain steps, the first one of which is getting the facts. I think I read the wrong verse, didn't I? Yes, I did. Verse 13 says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Getting the facts is step number one in planning ahead. But getting the facts is hard work, but it's important. We have to research and, and pull together the pertinent information to whatever is before us. There are some people who say, my mind is made up, don't confuse me with facts. But folks, facts is where we have to begin. We have to get the information necessary so that we can plan, getting the facts. The second step is seeking counsel. Chapter 15, verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. 
Chapter 20, verse 18 says a very similar thing. It is a wise thing to share your ideas, your facts, your plans with others. Get their counsel. We have had a family or two in our church who have made the decision without asking anybody else what they thought about it to relocate. And when they relocated, they found that they were at distinct disadvantage to certain things in their lives. Had they caught, thought through the, the issues and sought the wisdom and counsel of others, they would not have, perhaps, not have made the decision they did. It is important to see what others think, trusted people, godly people. Bounce your ideas off of them. That's the second step in making your plan. The third step is to define the options. After you've got the information, you've bounced that information off of other people and gotten their ideas, you begin to write down your options. Option number one, option number two, option number three perhaps. And once you have defined the option, the fourth step is to make a decision. In light of all of the factors involved, in light of the counsel that you've received, in light of what God is saying within your heart, make a decision. For some people, that's the hardest part of the plan. Actually coming to the point of making a decision to do something. But it's essential. And then the fifth step is setting the goals. Once you've made a decision, you say, this is what I'm going to do. Then you have to establish goals that will help you to get to that point. In our staff planning here at the church, uh, we have four qualities that we try to put into our goals in planning ahead. First of all, the quality of being specific. It's not enough simply to say, we want to have more people in our small churches. It has to be more specific than that. We want to see our small churches grow by 10% or 5% or 50%, whatever. It needs to be specific. Uh, it's not enough to say, well, I would like to build another home and move. Well, make it a little more specific than that. What kind of a home do you want? What do you want in the place? How far do you want it to be from work, from church, <clears throat> from the place you shop? Be specific. The second quality that we try to include in our planning here is make it attainable. Don't set it so far out there you can't possibly attain it. Make it challenging, but make it something that can be attained with hard work. Thirdly, make it measurable. Put into the, the, the goal that you're establishing some elements that will make it possible to measure. We will do so-and-so by March 1 of this year. Or by the end of the summer, we will be here or there. Make it measurable so you know how you're doing toward the goal. And finally, make it compatible with the mission of our church. Does this fit in with what we say we are as a church and what we want to do as a church? There are lots of things that we might do as a church but we have to examine our goals in the light of, is it compatible with the mission? And so we call these our SMAC, our SMAC requirements for our goals. Specific, attainable, or measurable, attainable, and compatible. Now, you may want to use those or some other system 
But in setting your goals, understand that you are, you are acting by faith. You're not trying to run ahead of God. You're saying, God, these are the plans. These are the goals I believe you would want me to establish. And now I ask you to lead me, to guide me. Now, if we fail to plan ahead, it usually leads to failure and to shame. We can't simply say, God, you lead me today. I have no plans whatsoever. Or we can't say, I want to do this with my life. I want to become that. I want to reach this goal. There have to be plans made. A story is told about the city leaders of Edinburgh, Scotland, who decided that they wanted to build a Parthenon in Edinburgh, similar to the one in Athens. And so they set out to build this modern-day Acropolis there in the city of Edinburgh. They wanted to do something that would rival the beauty of ancient Greece, but the sad story is that the project has never yet been completed because the city ran out of money to do it. They had an idea, they set a goal, but you see they didn't plan how they were going to get there, and the result is really failure on the part of the city. It's a shame to them rather than a glory. Planning ahead and its steps. Put these steps into your planning, and you will see God bless you. That brings us to the third thing that we want to observe in Proverbs about planning ahead, and that is planning ahead in God's part in the whole thing. In the uh, Living Bible, in Proverbs 19.21, puts it this way, Man proposes, but God disposes. I don't think that was original with the Living Bible. That statement's been around a long time, but it simply says, Man proposes, God disposes. And that's true. There are three realizations we need to make in our lives regarding God's part in our planning ahead. First, we must realize that our planning begins with God. Our planning begins with God. In Proverbs 16 and verse 3, it says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. This word commit in the Hebrew means to roll over or to roll onto. So what he's saying here is that we are to roll onto the Lord whatever we want to do. We're to commit it to Him. And as we do that, then our plans will succeed. Dr. Robert Alden, a professor at Denver Seminary, writes, A number of Proverbs teach how the Lord frustrates the plans of the wicked. In contrast to that, we see here how the Lord encourages the plans of the righteous. The crucial thing is choosing the right plan, one which God will sanction and bless. Now, I know that there are people who say, well, we can't even count on tomorrow, so why should we plan? Doesn't Proverbs say somewhere that we can't even uh, boast about tomorrow? We don't know what a day may bring forth. Yes, that's Proverbs 27.1, and that's true. We can't boast in it. But God intends for us to plan for it. God wants us to commit our plans to Him. In the famous, most famous two verses probably of Proverbs, we read, Trust in the Lord 
Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It begins by saying, trust in the Lord. And lean not to your own understanding. That is not a verse against planning. But it means simply, don't rely solely upon your plans. Trust in the Lord. Realize that your planning must begin with Him. In all your ways, as you look ahead, as you plan for the future, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. The word acknowledge there means be in fellowship with Him. Let those plans come out of that knowing of God in your life. He will direct your paths. He will make your path straight. Well, I can hear someone say, yes, but doesn't James say that we're not to, to plan for the future somewhere? Well, let me show you a verse that some, or a passage in James that is sometimes <clears throat> used this way in James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Now James is quoting somebody who's planning ahead. And he's going to rebuke this person. This person is saying, we're going to go to this city, we're going to spend this amount of time there. You see it's rather specific. We're going to carry on business and we're going to make money. Well then James says, why do you, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? Your mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. So you look carefully and you see what James is saying. He's saying that we can't boast or brag we're going to do this or that. We plan ahead and we say we're going to go to this city, we're going to live there for a year, we're going to do this or that and make money if the Lord wills. And that's the point I'm making. Our planning must begin with God. Our planning must begin with Him. As we are in fellowship with God, we commit our plans to the Lord. We roll those plans onto Him, and the Lord will bring success to those plans. But there's a second realization that we must come to as we think about our planning ahead and God's part in it. We must realize that God is bigger than our plans. Not only that our plans begin with God, but God is bigger than our plans. Going back to Proverbs again to the 16th chapter, verse 9, it says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. It's the Lord ultimately who will give prosperity to our plans, who will direct the actual steps we take, whatever we have laid out before us. Chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. We need to realize that God is bigger than our plans. Chapter 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed 
against the Lord. Sometime look at what God says in Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Or compare with that Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11. You see the same truth. God is bigger than what man plans. Now listen, that is not threatening. That's reassuring. Because it means that we may lay our plans out, and we may, even in the most sincere of hearts, make a mistake. God is bigger than our plans. So we begin our planning with God, and then we know that God is bigger than whatever we've laid out. And if we've erred, God is going to direct us another way. We can trust Him. The third realization is that we must realize our plans succeed only with God. Chapter 21, verse 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. You can plan ahead and get your horse all ready. You can get the armament on the horse. You can get your weaponry out. You can get ready to go into battle and plan ahead all you want, but victory rests with the Lord. So the third realization is that our plans succeed only with God. Our planning begins with God. We realize God is bigger than our plans, and ultimately when they succeed, it is only with God, and that's good. Because then it means that God gets the glory for it. And I don't think we really want our plans to succeed without His blessing, do we? Indeed, one of the more harsh judgments God can bring on us is to allow us to succeed without Him. To the children of Israel, of the children of Israel, it says in Psalm 106, verse 15, So He gave them what they asked for, but sent leanness to their souls. Sometimes we ask God for some rather stupid things, and we think we really want them, and we lay plans for those things. If God allows us to have those, it's really judgment. And so it's reassuring to know that God is bigger than our plans, that they'll succeed only with His blessings. Right now, Grace Church Roseville is laying plans for the future. Change is in the offing for us. The first step has been one that's been in place now for a number of months. It really was kicked off about a year ago when we began with the survey of our church family, getting the facts. Where do our, our church families live? How do our, our, what is our, our strength in our ministry? How does our church family feel about certain things? And uh, we, we accumulated a great deal of information through that survey. There have been other facts that have been gathered over recent months relating to various possibilities of our future. Getting of facts is going to continue as we move into January and February, as we organize some small group meetings in which everyone in the church will be invited to come and participate, to give thoughts and ideas and share together and pray together. That will also be the part, uh, the beginning of step two, which is seeking counsel. As we seek the counsel of, of God's people and we seek counsel of one another regarding what God wants for us in the future. Uh, recently, the elders voted to hire an architect who is laying some groundwork of getting some facts out there and giving us counsel regarding his thinking about our future. 
Grace Church Roseville is seeking to put into to practice what we've talked about this morning in planning ahead. But it's important not only for us as a church to do it, it's important for us as individuals to do it. We need to plan ahead, but marry our plans to God's purposes. When we do that, our plans will surely succeed in the end. They will surely succeed. We may not arrive just exactly where we thought we would, but it'll be a better place. Plans that are made with God's blessing will ultimately achieve God's best. What is it that you need to plan ahead about? Well, it's likely that some of us need to plan ahead regarding our financial future. And I say that because it's probably the first one that comes to mind in our culture. Because it is important. Are you planning ahead in your financial future? Uh, We have people in our church who are doing that for a living, helping others plan ahead. It's important for all of us to lay out a strategy and a plan for our financial future. But there are some things, frankly, more important than that. For example, how are we going to transmit our family values to our children? That doesn't just happen automatically. We have to have some kind of a plan to do that, some kind of a strategy that mom and dad agree on as to how that can happen. Maybe it's in the area of dreams and desires that you have for your future where you want to go to college. Perhaps it's an anniversary trip that you and your wife are considering when you get to that big 25 or that 50 mark. Perhaps it's starting a business in the next year or two. You have dreams and desires that are are bubbling inside of you. These are all important things in which we need to plan ahead, just like God tells us to in His Word. But probably the most important of all is that we plan ahead regarding our own demise. Because you see, someday all of us are going to leave this world. We need to plan ahead for that. And if there's any aspect of life that our culture tends to ignore and try to pretend doesn't happen, it's that. What happens when this life is done? Well, that can be uh, approached in a number of different ways. There are some practical aspects, for example. Have you ever thought about your funeral and what you want to happen there? You say, oh, if I do that, it may happen sooner than it might otherwise. Oh, really? Well, who's in charge of that? Several years ago, someone gave me a a form for planning a funeral ahead of time. And we've had a few people, only a few in our church, who've done that. If you'd like to have a copy of that, I'd be glad to give it to you. It simply helps you think through some of the things that you might like to see take place at your funeral service so that um, you can say there what you want to have said. And people can participate that you want to have participate if they're still living. Have you ever thought about that? We have one lady in our church who's already gone over with me who she wants to sing and the songs she wants to have sung and so on. 
And she did that several years ago, if that's any encouragement to you. It didn't seem to hasten her death. But of course, the most important aspect of planning for our own demise is what happens to our soul after we die. Where we're going to spend eternity. Are you planning ahead about that? I say, well, I don't think we can really know. We just kind of show up there at the gates and God is going to do with us what he wants to do. That's wrong. That's wrong. You see, we prepare ahead of time for that. We have to plan ahead. You say, well, how do I do that? The only way to plan ahead is by doing it what, the way God says to do it. And that is by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because, you see, that cares for the issues that now separate you and God. The issues of sin in your life, rebellion, hostility toward God, living self-sufficiently and independently of God. For when we receive Jesus Christ, we bow the knee and we recognize that our sin separates us. We recognize our independence is, is uh, really wicked. And we acknowledge that we need Him. When we take that step, then we are preparing ourselves for then. That's the first step. But there are steps after that. What kind of an entrance will we have into heaven? Will it be an abundant entrance, as Peter talks about? A glorious entrance? Or will we simply get there without much to show for our lives. I don't see Ruth Jordan here today, but Ruth comes to our church when she's home from ministry. She and her wife, Jean, have devoted their lives to missionary work through HCJB in Quito, Ecuador. And Ruth goes down there each winter. I can't imagine why. She leaves Minnesota to go to Ecuador each winter. Now, she has a good purpose. She's serving the Lord there. But she told me something a couple of weeks ago I'd never heard before regarding the five missionaries who were martyred in uh, Ecuador back in 1956. Some of you remember the story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and uh, the other three men, uh, Ed McCauley and so on, who laid down their lives on a sandy beach beside a river as they attempted to evangelize the Aka Indians. And the story that Ruth heard just two years ago, and it came to her through Marge Saint, Nate Saint's sister, who has lived there all these years and worked with the Akas. The story finally came from the Aka people about what happened that day. As the men were down on the beach, actually going through the process of killing the missionaries, the women of the tribe were standing on a ridge back up where they could see the action. And across the river, and on a ridge on the other side of the river, they saw a band of people appear. And these, these were very strong, powerful people that they saw. But they were singing, and they were playing instruments and making a great deal of noise. And the women were absolutely terrified of these people that they saw on the other side of the river. And once the men had been killed, all five of them, 
the band disappeared. Say, so who were they? Well, a reception committee that God sent to welcome home the martyrs. They were angels who gave to these men an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom of God because of their willingness to lay down their... Listen, they had plans made. They carefully laid their plans as to how they were going to approach the Indians, but in the end they said, what the Lord wants. We're willing, if God wants, to lay down our lives to reach these Indians, and they did. Their plans weren't fully realized as they had laid them out. God had something better in mind. God is bigger than our plans. And in the end, when God has his way, there's victory. There's success. There's accomplishment. And don't you think there was accomplishment in those men in the way God brought their lives to a fruitful conclusion? Many lives in this room this morning undoubtedly have been touched in some way by it. Hundreds of people have gone to the mission field because of the testimony of those men. And that whole tribe has been evangelized in South America, and they are sending people to other tribes. It pays to plan ahead. And when we plan to begin with God, and realize that God is bigger than our plans, and to know that in the end God will bring our plans to success as we submit them to Him. Let's pray together. What do you need to be planning, my friend? Are you planning for your soul's eternal welfare? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If so, are you living for Christ? Are you in fellowship with God? Are you planning so that your life will be meaningful for God and for eternity? Perhaps there are other areas of your life where God has put his finger this morning reminding you that laying plans is important. Do it. Ask God's direction. Begin with God. Begin this week as you begin a new year to lay out your plans and to seek God's face as you do it. Father, we thank you for your leadership in our lives. We've been reminded this morning that your leadership and your will does not preclude our responsibility of planning. May we be wise people. Teach us what it means to plan ahead in all the areas of life, especially the spiritual. But teach us, too, that surrender to your will, to your lordship in our lives, is always best. That we can never lose or go wrong in doing that. And so, Father, if there are areas of our lives where we need to surrender, then show that to us today. In this hour, that we might go out from here prepared to plan ahead and beginning with you as Lord of our lives. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder...